and welcome to season two of Check Your Beer. My name is Amy Todd. I'm the owner of Zymology Labs, and I help brewers make better beer through analytical testing, consulting, and training. This season, I'm interviewing folks who work in beer quality positions. We'll learn how they got into beer, what their day-to-day looks like, how they grew their quality programs, challenges they faced, advice for brewers looking to start a quality program, the best part of their jobs, and much, much more. I hope this podcast motivates you and gives you ideas about where to start and how you can improve your own quality program. Let's take a listen to our first guest. Hello and welcome everyone. Today I have on the show Paul Saylor, uh, the founder and original brewer of American Flatbread and brewmaster of Zero Gravity, among other things. So Paul, why don't you, I guess, let's start with kind of how you got started in the beer world. I'm sure we'll touch among all of your positions throughout the years. You've been in the Burlington or the Vermont brewing scene for for a number of years now. So yeah, let's go back to, to Catamount where you got started. Okay. Uh, well, I began brewing uh, as a home brewer in college. And during that time, I did a big project uh, to satisfy a natural sciences requirement um, that asked the question, would uh, it be possible to tailor design custom design beer yeasts for different uh, craft breweries in America so that they all would sort of have their own house character. And in the process of working on that project, I interviewed a few brewers to talk to them about their yeast. And one of those was the brewmaster and owner of, of Catamount. At the time, I was uh, in school in Western Massachusetts, and Catamount was at that time in White River Junction. So I drove up and talked with him for, oh, it was a really long, long chat. And at the end of that uh, sort of fascinating discussion, uh, he mentioned that they had a, an apprenticeship program and that if someday I was interested, he should I should give them a call. So um, as, I, as I didn't have any um, great, options for work as I got out of college I decided to take him up on it and and that's how I got the job there was just coming in as an apprentice in February of 1990 and um, ended up working there for six years and was really fortunate to work at Catamount because um, among other things Catamount had an outstanding quality control program I think far and above any other craft brewery of that scale. Um, I think that maybe Sierra Nevada at that time had as robust a a lab working for them. But um, I was, um, I was able to work as a liaison between the lab and production. And that taught me so much about uh, what I needed to do to make good beer um, that I've used ever since, or certainly set me on the right path to, uh, to focus on that side of things as a brewer. That's great. So for kind of where you learned how to brew, it was mostly kind of right there at Catamount? Really, um, yeah. I, 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 I think that when I eventually moved to the brew pub side, there were other sides to brewing that um, that I picked up. Uh, but, you know, brewing at any, at any different scale is pretty much the same activity, mm-hmm. just different equipment and uh you know, different levels of sophistication of equipment, of equipment uh, controls. Um, and so when I finished at Catamount, I had worked, you know, in all the different shops I had worked in. Catamount was broken up 
into you know a more traditional arrangement of the brew house fermentation the cellar and packaging a lot of of small breweries and just combine all those things and people work in different parts of the brewery but um at that time it was it was more specialized kind of like the mm-hmm. older breweries because catamount was uh, a transitional place it was sort of the one of the flagships in the craft brewing movement certainly in its area one of the first and so it, it the brewmaster looked to help from existing regional brewers and learn some of the old old ways of doing things and brought those into into the brewery which was for me fascinating mm-hmm. um, so I worked in the different shops I was sort of the only person who, who moved between them other people kind of settled in either worked in the brew house all the time for all the time they were there um, or the, the packaging area but I worked in all the different shops and, and I guess my area of, spe- of specialization was fermentation. That was mm-hmm. the, the area that I was in charge of. And then that brought me into direct contact with the lab, of course, yeah. um, because in order to do a good job in fermentation, you really have to um, have a clear idea of what's happening microbiologically in, in the work. And uh, we were able to do a lot of tests there that, um, that helped steer me in, in the work that I did. What were some of the things that you did there for quality? All of the, at that time, available forms of plating to, to check for mm-hmm. contaminating wild yeasts, bacteria. Um, we, of course, were doing gravities. Uh, we had some, uh, I guess, was it ASBC certified hydrometers, which mm-hmm. was, you know, nice that, you know, we we've, uh, were able to be using something that was um, certified as, you know, fairly certain about the, you know, the accuracy of the mm-hmm. hydrometer because it was coming from, from a uh, reputable supplier. Um, I managed to work there for five years before I broke one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then in the course of that year, I broke two. So (laughs) Uh, I definitely, one of the things I always talk to to folks who are sort of asking about quality control, I I really um, focus on the importance of having certified uh, or, you know, officially calibrated gauges and thermometers Mm -hmm. because we we count on the information from those on a day-to-day basis. And they, they tell us so much about how the beer is progressing. And if they're not reading accurately, we're just making assumptions about the, the status of the beer that are incorrect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think often it's human nature to just sort of take, take that information that's coming out of those gauges and thermometers for, for granted. But it's really important to be, having high quality equipment in those areas and then checking it mm-hmm. on a regular basis um, to, to confirm that, that it hasn't either broken or skewed in terms of its, its uh, accuracy. Yeah. So in addition to um, those, what else did we do in the lab there? That's what's coming to mind. You, you might be able to jog mm-hmm. my memory in terms of other activities that, that a lab might do. Um, certainly, we were doing everything that we're doing here now uh, at Zero Gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you do any cell counting there, or what was yeah. the? Yeah, uh, so a lot of cell counts mm-hmm. throughout the the process. Uh, we would check 
um, at pitching at 48 hours in conditioning, we do cell counts and all of those at all of those points. Nice. And so did you go right from Catamount to American flatbread or was there anything in between there? Um, after Catamount, I took a job with a company out of Boston who was opening up another brew pub in Boston and then planned to open a place in New York City. And they hired me to go to New York City, but I was lucky enough to first help Todd Mott uh, open up their second location in Back Bay of the Boston area um, and take part in that installation and, and early you know, startup brewing. And then I moved to New York and oversaw the uh, construction and startup of a brew pub in uh, Rockefeller Center in New York City um, and was there for three years. Um, around that, the, the latter part of that time in New York City, my partner and I started talking about doing a project in Burlington, Vermont. And at that point, um, I started thinking about you know doing some early planning for that project and um and having a fair amount of work to do before i would have a paying job in that project i, I took a, um, a job in danbury connecticut helping with a startup group up there um, to pay the bills until we were able to to get started in, mm -hmm. up in vermont so you're well versed in starting up a brew pub by the time you did it yourself yeah, that was helpful yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what is uh, what kind of differences are there, you know, with quality in a brew pub setting versus a commercial setting? Well, I think that um, brew pub brewers are um, able to maintain a lot more control over their product in that um, it doesn't it, it often doesn't leave the, the facility and and so they have the ability to be checking in on it um, on a regular basis. And if it, if it uh, is showing signs of, of contamination or has some, some defect that, that the brewer judges to be a fatal flaw, um, that brewer can uh, send that, that beer down the drain. Uh, whereas packaging facility uh, sends its beer out into the marketplace and it's a much bigger deal to pull that beer back in, in a recall or or some other fashion of getting that beer off the market and um, as a result it creates I think a much higher bar for packaging facilities to to know exactly what the status of that beer is going into the package um, prior to sending it out and calls for a more robust lab in terms of, of checking for um, any contaminants in particular particular Brewpub situation, I think, is one that risks complacency because because the brewer has that immediate sort of contact with the beer. A, a brewpub brewer may assume that, well, if I just keep tasting it, I'll know if it goes bad. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that from my standpoint, the what I try to advocate to folks who are, are getting started with brewpub uh, operations is that they they think long and hard about how they can set up um, a robust quality control program and then devote the time to it. Because I, one of the biggest challenges for all brewers is, is bandwidth and mm -hmm. finding time in their day to do these activities. And, um, and I think that on the brew pub side, that's what kind of feeds that complacency that, 
um, leads to having what I would call substandard uh, quality control programs is that sort of sense of, well, I'll get to that another day. Um, I can always taste it. And if it doesn't taste right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the action at that point. But I, I think that uh, the real risk there is that our palates are, are faulty instruments in terms of, of, of really uh, establishing whether a product, product is all it can be. And the reason for that is we, especially in the, in the, the pub setting, we taste the beer on a day-to-day -day basis. It creates a level of subjectivity that um, will really hamstring our ability to know for sure that there's something that's not, not all there mm -hmm. or that there's something that might be wrong with the beer because it might be the case that it's a character, um, a contaminant that grows over time. Typically that's how uh, wild yeast and bacteria will establish themselves as, as gradually. Um, and by the time the brewer is really aware of the infection, it's been going on for a while and they weren't picking it up because it was such a gradual change that their subjectivity kept them from noticing it. Whereas if they had walked into someone else's place and tried it, they might have picked it up immediately. Mm -hmm. So that that is sort of my my strongest argument um, to make to a brew pub brewer as to you know why not to trust your palate um, and why it's important to uh, to set yourself up to be checking in on the beer either with your own lab equipment or turning to uh, to someone else to do that for you um, mm -hmm. if you don't have the ability to. To, to buy the lab equipment or if you just don't have the time to be doing the, the testing. Right. For someone who was maybe starting out a, a quality program, what would you prioritize for, you know, brew pub starting a, a quality program versus starting a quality program in a commercial brewery? Would you go at those differently or would it just be that, you know, maybe the commercials focused a little more on shelf stability and, you know, the, the bigger scale? Well, I think the, the key pieces of equipment that the brew pub needs to own and, and be using actively um, for every batch of beer that goes through include, you know, a set of hydrometers, um, a, a microscope that's capable of accurately uh, counting, uh, doing yeast cell counts, and um, and then also viability checks at the same time, which mm -hmm. is just you know having the the necessary stain uh, to do those viability checks if you're if you're doing it that way. In addition, uh, reference uh, hydrometers uh, to check if if you're buying uh, more inexpensive hydrometers to use on a day to day basis, having a, at least a reference hydrometer to compare those two mm -hmm. when you get, when you buy a new set, cause they do break, um, having a reference gauge, um, that you can check all of your gauges with. And, um, and then I think because very few brew pubs have the ability, uh, or the bandwidth to be doing microbiological testing, you know, setting up a relationship where you can take, you know, properly, you know, sterile samples of your your products at different stages and, and get those plated to see uh, whether or not you have any issues with contamination. And I think that's really important from the, the very start of things because so many brew pubs, I don't want to say so many, but a, uh, an alarming number of brew pubs 
open their doors with beer that's already contaminated because they never really had a chance to properly troubleshoot their equipment. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and the way in which you would know for a fact that you had substandard or contaminated beer is to have it tested before you open the doors and then make a decision. Okay. Is that, is that product that I want to represent our business at the very beginning the, the piece of information that I learned at Catamount um, throughout my time there was what what plating and, and testing the beer at various points in the process allow you is the ability to figure out where, where did the contamination enter the picture. It allows you on a process level, a production level, to troubleshoot the problem. So, you know, if you're, if you're doing um, wort samples um, prior to pitching, you know, that right there prior prior to the, the heat exchanger even it, it helps you understand well did that contamination come from the heat exchanger which is a really common uh source of contamination especially in the early going when, when, when brewers haven't sort of established their procedures for you know preventing such things mm-hmm. so that that for me is um something i i would advocate for anyone who's getting started is to not wait until you're up and running to be doing these tests but set up the relationships and prepare yourself for success by doing all this testing of your, your early batches of beer and then waiting for the results before you open the doors, mm-hmm. you know, giving yourself a little bit of time to, to get those, that sense of, of where your beer's at um, before uh, you open the doors because you may realize, oh, I've got a major problem here. I need to solve it. And this just requires a delay at least in terms of, of us serving the beer um, for at a brew pub level. That's great advice. So you went from commercial brewery to brew pub. Um, oh, I don't know if I mentioned, I just said American flatbread, but the zero gravity is the, the, the beer um, being brewed there. And then you went from brew pub and started scaling that up on a commercial scale. So what was that process like then going from brew pub up to, uh, commercial brewery. A uh, really great professional experience that I hadn't had before. Um, you know, scaling uh, batches of beer that you're doing at a brew pub um, up to pack. You know, the larger larger scale that you're doing at, at a packaging plant is fascinating and and has a lot of moving parts that mm. um, you discover as you're doing it. So I I was fortunate enough to with uh, with Destiny Saxon, our head brewer at the pub at, um, at the time. I started as head brewer, and then in 2008, hired Destiny Saxon to be the head brewer at Flatbread. And she and I um, oversaw the early batches of beer being made at a contract brewery while we were still con- constructing our packaging facility. We decided to do some contract brewing in that period of time leading up to when we would have our own beer from from the new facility so that we could start building the marketplace for our products and we did that at smutty nose brewery down in in uh, portsmouth new hampshire at the time smutty nose was opening up a or had opened up a, a brand new facility um really beautiful uh equipment um at a much larger scale down in hampton and they were using their original brewery to do kind of R&D. And uh, that's where we worked. And that was a, 
brewery that had been open since the days of Catamount. It, it passed through a few different uh, sets of owners, but uh, it was an old plant. And so it immediately sort of challenged me to think about, okay, well, you know, how do we think about quality control at this place where, you know, they've been doing it the same way for a long time? And how do I bring sort of my sort of ideas about quality control into this setting and talk to people who, you know, um, have been running this place for a while, know how it works, but um, don't necessarily know how to brew our beer. Mm -hmm. And that, that whole process uh, helped a lot when we came, it came time to scale our recipes for zero gravity because we had had to do it um, in a pretty graceful way, that is diplomatic way, down at Smutty Nose. And that gave us just a, a lot of useful information uh, to apply to, you know, our own plant when we got it up and running. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, of the, you know, the quality control side, you know, we, we, we started relatively uh, light in terms of investment and um, thankfully had you by our side for a lot of those early days, you know, as, as someone who was uh, helping us keep it, you know, within the parameters it needed to be as it went into the cans. Um, but, uh, you know, we were definitely learning as we went. I, I think that I learned a lot from Justin McCarthy, who had been working at Magic Hat for years um, with a robust lab program. And, uh, and I think that having someone with that, that kind of expertise, if you're starting up a packaging brewery, is pretty mm -hmm. important um, because they already know all these things that you need to have in place in terms of quality control. Yeah. Are there any unexpected things that you came up across? Or maybe just like in in terms of scaling the beer, like with the matching recipes, if there were, you know, if it was, you know, an easy just scale up or if, you know, with different equipment, you had to move a lot of different lever levers to get, you know, just the right match. Great question. I, um, I, th I feel like uh, we were very fortunate in, in that uh, the... The recipes um, converted grace, gracefully through. I guess the, the size of the of the scale up really matters. You know, mm -hmm. Flatbreads Brew House produces twelve and a half barrels of wort, and our brew house at our packaging location um, is a thirty barrel knockout. So, you know, that's a less than threefold increase um, from one one recipe at one place to the, you know, an adjusted recipe at the, the second place. And fortunately we were, we were using the same water, mm -hmm. um, which is surface water uh, that Burlington gets from Lake Champlain, albeit you know, filtered. Those factors really helped us, I think, dial in the recipe and, and do it the way we wanted to. But I think taste, you know, the tasting panel work is really important because mm -hmm. it's very easy to convince yourself that everything's tasting right. Um, if you don't create, uh, some kind of blind tasting regimen and get other people's palates involved. It's, it's one can sort of convince oneself that all is well when maybe you have work to do uh, mm -hmm. either on quality control side or just uh, continuing to troubleshoot your equipment to get the most out of it. I think that, uh, you know, in terms of any surprises, you know, there just weren't really many of them, you know, I, the great thing about having done the work at Smutty Nose is it gave us um, a leg up 
um, when it came time to start uh, brewing at the, at the new facility. And, and we were very fortunate to have Justin, who's a seasoned packaging person. And uh, maybe uh, you might remember any any surprises that happened in the early days at the lab? Do you, can you remember any? No, I guess, you know, the big surprises were, you know, walking into, you know, a hole in the middle of the hallway or something during expansion. But right. <laughs> other than that, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, good to have a, a team to help out, definitely. Yeah, indeed. Are there, is there anything that you wish other brewers would know in terms of quality? Not really. I mean, I I love the diversity of beer in America, and, mm -hmm. and there are various uh, sort of different ways of doing things that are, are um, or diverse ways of doing things that are neither good nor bad, just different. And I wouldn't change that. Um, when it comes to quality, you know, I think I accept beer that's being produced from anyone as assuming that's what the brewer wants, right? Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, it's less carbonated because, you know, the brewer prefers it that way um, or it's, you know, it's opaque because that's the way the brewer thinks it's the beer is, is best served. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have my own personal opinion about sort of what can make beer exceptional is, is that it's really important for brewers to, spend a fair amount of time developing their knowledge of their palate. And, um, and when I say knowledge of one's palate, I mean that in order to gain sort of that objectivity about one's beer where one feels like, okay, I'm, I, I know what I'm tasting. You have to first really have a sense of what are, um, what are the ranges in which you're able to taste certain things, how, how accurate your palate is at tasting mm -hmm. those things. For instance, you know, I, I feel just rock solid about my ability to pick up diacetyl um, in any sort of meaningful amount in a beer. But for me, DMS is a, is a much more difficult thing for my palate to separate out. And so what that means in practice is that if I have a concern about the beer having DMS, I'm going to find someone else to taste it who does who I know has that ability or I'll turn to the lab and, and have it, have it tested that way. But until we spend the time establishing how strong we are in, in, in the various areas of, of tasting, um, we don't really know what our palate is able to uh, tell us. And that creates blind spots mm -hmm. in terms of, of, you know, how good our beer can be. And the same thing really applies to style. Like I, I accept all interpretations of a given style, but we always try to, if we're doing a traditional German lager of a specific, uh, say, you know, uh, Helles, or uh, if we're doing a specific Belgian style, like triple, we try to brew to style. That's just our, our internal priority. But if you don't know what that style really tastes like, then you don't really have the ability to say to yourself, how well you did getting close to that style. And, mm -hmm. and I'm a big advocate of the BJCP process for, for professional brewers to take part in. It's a homebrew process form of, of education. Yet for me, it's one of the best ways for any brewer to build an understanding 
of style and and help themselves really feel like their palate is capable of evaluating a beer within that style range. Um, so those are those are the things that I, I advocate for most frequently in terms of 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 what people are doing um, to improve their beer. It's until your palate is known to you and and you you understand beer style in a, in a fairly sophisticated way, it, you can't really know for sure just how well you've done. Mm-hmm. Gabby JCP has got some great resources out there. I like using it for examples for coming up with true to brand descriptions on beers too. You know, it's a great place to, to get started and they've got some great resources. Yeah. I wish there was a professional version of that. I, long, long ago, talk that around with some professional brewers, but you know, uh, it never, the idea never took, you know, and and I just think it would be so great if if on the professional side we had, well, maybe a professional wing of the BJCP. Yeah. Um, It would, it would help because then when we're all like together talking about Mm -hmm. beer or, or judging beer, we all are talking the same language. Right. Yeah. That's key that having that common language. Why don't you talk a little bit about how your role has changed in the brewing industry over the years and maybe kind of in connection with that, how your view of quality has changed, if it has. I know you kind of started out with a really strong uh, focus on quality, so maybe that hasn't changed, but I know your your role has definitely changed over the years. Yeah, um, so I started out just as a well, I started out as an apprentice at, Flat, at Catamount for three months, and then, you know, I, I wore some different hats uh, because that they had needs for you know folks to be working in the cellar, working in in the uh, in the fermentation area, and in the brew house. Um, and I, I played that role. I was kind of unique in that uh, you know everyone else was kind of locked into wherever they were. So I was that was really helpful for me in terms of learning the whole picture. Um, and then I think that sort of led to a point where the, the brewmaster, who was the founder, found himself stuck in the office more and more. And I became sort of the, the person who, because I was working in all of the shops, I, um, I became the assistant brewmaster because I had that sort of view into all the different sort of realms of, of that business, of that brewery. When I moved to the brew pub side, it was a you know whole different set of management, but it was all inclusive. So, you know, it made it made it possible to sort of just gather all that information that for me was spread between different different realms of, of a brewery and and think about it as all one, which took me a while to kind of learn to process because um, I was so used to sort of. Th- thinking at a thinking of of brewing as something that happened in in different shops different sectors and so that took some some time and maturation to kind of just be the person who had purview of over all the different parts of the project and and to not have a lab um that i could turn to um so i i had to teach myself to be diligent about all the quality control pieces and I had to I had to really carve out the time for it because in the early going, I was doing everything and didn't have a whole lot of time to focus on quality control. So um, the I think that the, the 
the problem the, the challenge with brew pub for me in the early going was i just felt like i i felt this kind of uh experiential fear about the beer because i just i didn't know what was happening to it because i, I was used to having the lab and having all those numbers available to look at and um and so I really turned to focusing on my palate and trying to make it as advanced as I could so I could um, head off any problems with the beer by tasting them. And I, I did spend some time sort of turning back to the BJCP at that point and really focusing on off flavors and, um, and, and, and trying to train myself to be the lab in, in essence. But um, ultimately, I, I realized that was a little bit uh, too risky and, and started uh, you know, sending some samples off to, to a lab to check and then felt a lot better about it all. Did that answer that question? Um, I guess, oh, well, that was, that was just the first transition. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I then stayed in the brew pub world for, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, four rounds um, there were three brew pubs I worked at before getting to our own place in Burlington. And by that time, you know, I, I had developed a lot of the strategies that I, I, I used um, during the early years at American Flatbread, which were a mixture of really focusing on the beer with others tasting people that I, I felt confident about being um, sort of fellow judges of the beer and then, and then, as much quality control as, as we were able to do, which included, um, you know, the, those things that I mentioned as, as crucial, which, um, included cell counts and checking the, all of the, the various, uh, instrumentation on a regular basis and, uh, and keeping, you know, the, the hydrometers in the product daily you know, until, until the fermentations were complete. Yeah. What is your favorite part about being involved in the brewing industry? Really, it's uh, sort of the camaraderie, um, the talking shop with other brewers, uh, trying their beers, talking about beer, and just feeling like I'm part of a movement. Um, it's, it's really never ceased uh, that sense of motion and evolution and excitement since I began. You know, I love the craft. Uh, I love being a craftsperson. But what's really kept me in it has been the people and sort of the sense that, that over time, uh, there's never been a, a point where I felt like the the work became humdrum. You know, there was never a point where I felt like I knew enough that I wasn't learning all the time. Mm -hmm. And that that is another, I think, key as well is that 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 once you sort of establish for yourself that um, you'll probably never know it all. And in fact, from year to year, it feels like you're alert, you know, less and less. <laughs> well, that keeps the well deep and you never, you know, you never find yourself bottoming out where you feel like, okay, this is now getting boring. Um, so those, those are kind of the two big factors of what really makes me still a brewer after 30 plus years. Yeah. I know I always learn something whenever I talk to you, Paul. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I forgot to ask. I remember um, you saying a while back that there was a sign over the the boiler room door at Catamount. Do you want to say what that what that said? Yeah, it was just it was just a quote from um, some professional 
I think from a brewer, and it just stuck with me forever. Um, and it was it was very simple. It's I, I'll paraphrase it because I can't remember the exact wording, but um, it said, you know, the the one sure thing to 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 shutter a brewery is selling contaminated beer. Yeah. Um, it might have been spoiled beer. I don't I don't mm-hmm. remember, but that's that's what. It, that was the the gist of it, and um, and I think that that continues to be kind of the all important thing to remind um, brewers is that no matter how flavorful your beer is, customers will taste off flavors mm-hmm. and will turn away from your beer. Um, it's just it's the first bar, the first hurdle you have to manage and and just treat as as an all-important rule is that you will do everything possible to prevent your beer from uh, having off flavors related to especially to spoilage Um, and then from there you can focus on all the 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 fun aspects of you know popping and and you know grist you know uh, recipes but but the very first thing to to nail and and then continue to nail is is your quality control yeah definitely all right, I think that's all the questions that I had for you today. Do you have anything that you want to add? Any other quality tips that we haven't covered? I think, you know, yeast handling and yeast maintenance uh, is is just a, an area where brewers should do their best to learn from other brewers and from schools and from whatever sources they can find. Because at the end of the day, I think yeast, yeast is kind of the all-important factor in making a beer either okay or or great mm-hmm. um and that you know that i was fortunate enough in my very early years to to be focused on yeast and have access to that lab to to be looking at the yeast analytically but ultimately you know it's what you're doing in the brewery in terms of your handling of the yeast that's that is so important and i've seen so many different approaches to to yeast handling and yeast storage and yeast propagation to you know that i feel like as an industry especially with you know a bunch of new people who are sort of figuring it out as they go that that teaching yourself about yeast health and proper pitching rates and how to manage your yeast and how to keep it clean is so so important because you know the yeast will be the ultimate vector that contaminates your beer if you don't keep the yeast clean the yeast gets pitched, the yeast is slow compared to bacteria and, and certain wild yeasts, and those bacteria and certain wild yeasts will grow faster than than your yeast, um, and that's that's the Achilles heel of Saccharomyces, is that contaminants will, will grow faster and become apparent in the flavor um, because, because while Saccharomyces is a great competitor, it is slow off the, out of the starting gate. So, you know, heat sanitation throughout the entire process from wort cooling on through, including your heat exchanger, through all of your um, yeast handling equipment is something that I've sworn by for a long time, as opposed to chemical sanitation. And, And then just thinking about all the possible vectors that could could infect your yeast, whether it's dust in the room, whether it's drips coming off the ceiling, whether it's you yourself, you know, mm-hmm. in the form of, you know, you know, hair or, or something else falling into the, uh, into the yeast. I think that is the one thing that I, I, th- I think is the greatest realm of 
of sort of potential for our industry to take it to another level. Mm -hmm. So if, if we all have the same knowledge of yeast handling and yeast storage, um, it would take everyone's beer up several notches and, um, and it, it, we would just see more beautiful beers out there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you're looking for more quality tips, check out season one of Check Your Beer, where I'm joined by Julie Smith of Lawson's Finest Liquids. Also check out zymologylabs.com for more resources and blog posts. 